0: Content warning. Racism, Unnecessary Surgery, and ANTS. ANTS. ANTS! Action! Excitement! Horror romance! Thrills and chills! Swords and sorcery! Rockets and ray guns! A dizzying canoply of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination! What mad universe encompasses such tales as these...
1: After he cut the white cotton that covered him from head to foot, he took it off and could see that his enemy was indeed a giant insect, probably a giant ant, with a huge chest above an abdomen that was just as huge, with two huge antennae that were used as arms and two jointed legs. The antennae the secondary legs, six in all, looked atrophied, but were still in a rudimentary state. A black shell covered the body and limbs as well as the head, like crab's armor, But in spite of the drastic modifications that an extraordinary heredity, or maybe refined art, had given to this frightful insect, its general form was still there and left no possible doubt as to its nature. It was a monstrous ant, of the genus Adababra, as tall as an average man and reduced to the four usual limbs of a mammal. But it was still an ant, a reasoning, evil, and even learned ant, and with a head as big as its abdomen, Endowed with strong mandibles, two faceted eyes, and a frontal eye with three triangular oscillators that looked like they had been particularly damaged by the gunshot they had just suffered. Spirit on the Mute, 1907, by Andre Lorry. Hi, welcome to What Mad Universe, the podcast that explores the roots of genre fiction through its early pulp years. I'm Philip Rice, and with me, as always, is Adam Prosser.
0: Hello. Uh,
1: today, we were going to be covering uh, The Machine to Kill by Phantom of the Opera creator Gaston Leroux, uh, but we ran into some difficulty finding a full translation. Uh, we've sorted it out, and that episode is still forthcoming, but since we only had a week to prepare this one, this uh, new episode this time, I thought of doing one on a short novel that uh, I just discovered two weeks ago, actually. Um, it instantly caught my attention by its very strange premise. Spirit on the Mute is about a Frenchman named Aristide Cordat, uh, who recently graduated medical school. He goes on a trip to a sparsely populated Italian island, where he finds a colony of intelligent ants ruled over by a large humanoid ant named Spiridon. After some initial conflict, to put it lightly, he takes Spiridon back to Paris to become a world-class surgeon, disguised as a human man bizarre uh the novel was written by andre lory a pseudonym of pascal Grousset. how do you pronounce that? Grusse. Pascal,
0: pascal Grusse.
1: pascal gruse thank you adam um he had a very interesting life in his own right uh he initially studied medicine before going into journalism and politics uh he was involved in radical newspapers uh, he was a lifelong socialist though never thought of himself as a specific leftist ideology like communism or anarchy. Uh, he was involved in a duel with then-Emperor Pierre Napoleon Bonaparte in 1870, which resulted in the death no, of one of his... Co-
0: sorry, correction. He wasn't the emperor. He was the nephew of the emperor.
1: Oh, okay. Sorry.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think it would have been a bigger deal if had been in a duel yeah, with the emperor. Yeah. Yeah. Fair
1: enough. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I saw Napoleon Bonaparte, and I guess I skipped
0: some info there. Um
1: right.
0: And also, this is Napoleon III, not the, yeah, yeah. the yeah, well-known Pierre, Napoleon.
1: Yeah, Pierre Napoleon, yeah. Um, a, a, but uh, Bonaparte shot his uh, second in the duel. Um, he was sentenced to six months in prison. Later on, during the Paris Commune, he was uh, elected as um, uh, a member of the executive committee and delegate for external affairs after the fall of the commune he was arrested and deported to new uh, <laughs> caledonia where he escaped moving to sydney uh, san francisco new york and london where he lived as a french teacher uh, after an amnesty was granted by the french government in 1880 he returned to france and later once again became a politician and held elected office until his death he was a great supporter of physical fitness and encouraged sport without winners or losers um, and uh, you said here he came in, um, uh he clashed with uh, Pierre de uh, Coubertin? Coubertin? De Coubertin, yeah. We, okay. Again,
0: well, I think we would come back to that. But yeah, again, this guy's got yeah. a lot of interesting things. But just to give you an overview for uh, yeah.
1: He wrote a number of books and novels under a few pen names, including uh, Philippe Darrow, uh, Tiberse More, and Leopold Viery. Um, as Andre Lurie, he collaborated, uh, that's heavy quotes, uh, with Jules Verne. Uh, In fact, two of his uh, novels that Lurie wrote, uh, The Bell, uh, Begum's Millions, and The Southern Star, uh, were just rewritten and published under Verne's name. So it wasn't so much a collaboration as somebody changed his novels and published it under a different name. Yeah. He, uh, Yet another thing, we'll go back Yeah, he disowned <laughs> both subsequently. Uh, his third collaboration with Verne was uh, The Salvage from the Cynthia, which was published under both their names. Uh, Though scholars believe Laurie was the sole writer with Verne Vern only doing validation work, whatever that means. I guess editing. Um, uh, being seen as Verne's ghost writer uh, gained him more some notoriety. Uh, but it meant he had to live in Vern's shadow as a writer. He eventually branched out in his own direction, writing novels about write, writing novels about bringing the moon closer to the earth to mine its materials easier. A lost civilization story called *The Secret of the Magician*, about a one about a, a steam-powered flying island, and uh, *The Crystal City*, which is about a surviving society of Atlanteans. Um, but his most acclaimed and Definitely his most unusual work, from what I can see, was uh, Spiridon. Yeah. Well, I'm, so, I uh, mean, some of
0: his other stuff sounds pretty wild, too. But, uh, yeah. That,
1: yeah, but this is, like, you know, you, you see, like, other lost civilization stories and other, you know, Atlanti- Atlantis stories. But right. I, I haven't come across any about a surgeon ant.
0: <laughs> it is definitely one of these sort of things where you go how did he come up with that exactly yeah what, what was he on <laughs> um well the yeah. the
1: probably the ant elixir that, that heals yeah me. exactly <laughs> the, the, the crucial elixirs
0: that let the ants <laughs> perform brilliant surgeries which is in this uh story but yeah it's it's a very strange and i mean this is a fact function of uh early not not quite 19th century it's very early 20th century but um that storytelling you know the, the the way they told stories was different and often a bit more discursive and stuff so the pacing is weird on top of everything else and the way he approaches the story is pretty strange right yeah like, i had
1: no idea where it was going because uh spirit on
0: dies like
1: part way like um Two-thirds two thirds into the two thirds of <laughs> the way into it, and yeah. um, I-, I thought like it looked like he was trying to prove that everything that he said was true because you know all his evidence was gone, his house right. burned down and stuff. Um, but then yeah. Spiriton is resurrected, and so that's right. Like yeah, I had took- no idea where the story was going, honestly.
0: Yeah, but he's also, and I mean, this is a function of Jules Verne and a few others as well, where it's just he's almost more interested in the scientific discovery than a plot, like a dramatic plot, right? Yeah. Like he'll, he'll literally spend pages and pages talking about how they, you know, got everyone together to have a whole and, and, and all the debates between science scientists of the time and how they would, uh, they would, you know, form rivalries. There's this one guy, what's his name? Bordier, who, um, who's becomes immediately becomes his arch nemesis. Cause he doubts everything uh, that he says right um yeah <clears throat> but yeah it's it's it, it is very weirdly weirdly i not so much weirdly paced as framed in a strange way right
1: yeah uh, the first um, third is him
0: on an like an adventure flashing back to his adventure in italy how he discovered spirit on in the first place then it's spirit on coming to uh paris and
1: becoming yeah Spiridon uh is disguised as a um a Chinese nobleman, a Baron uh, Tessimorna, um, yeah. which is not a Chinese name. He's also described as... Uh, um, um, well, he says Asian. He doesn't specify yeah, yeah. Chinese, I guess. They but. say Chinese a couple times, but that seems to be like a catch-all yeah. for, for Asian. Um, yeah. But uh, he... they, I don't know how this disguise is supposed to work, because he has fake <laughs> arms and legs over his... Over his real ones, (laughs) yeah, and a a a constructed wax head over his real head. So (laughs) it's it's it would be really creepy. I mean, a a non moving wax face. I mean, I know people were sort of were racist at the time and would have thought you know a a Asian person looked weird anyway. But like you know, Asian people still move. Right.
0: (laughs) Well, and he had he had a. like, he describes the head as being particularly large, so it's like, okay, so he, you know, and an ant head, of course, would be, if it's... If it and just, it has the
1: mandibles, it describes uh, very large mandibles on him, so yeah. I guess the head's on top of his own head, like a... <laughs> yeah, he's got I, a little... But he's the same height as a man, so I I don't know yeah. how this is supposed to work, it's very odd, uh, and it's, yeah. it's very odd that it would fool anybody.
0: Well, to be fair, uh, uh, Bordier... They do think he looks strange, but... Yeah, they kind of... He gets close, and and he he figures out that he's wearing a disguise. But, um... Yeah, but it wouldn't fool anybody for a second. I I could almost buy... Just to play devil's advocate, I could almost buy that... uh, Because he's mostly seen in, like, an operating theater and in places where, like, he's, you know, he's seen from a bit of a distance, so I could almost buy that. Uh, I don't think he he does he do, do they have scenes where he has him over as a to a party or anything i can't remember did he uh did he...
1: not not socially i don't think um, yeah he does go to like a, um pharmacists and stuff to get his chemicals right and yeah. he gives them notes because he can't speak uh, yeah which we'll get into but
0: yeah he is spirit on the mute yeah but yes it's it's well i mean i i, I don't know can, you can, Suspension of disbelief at a
1: certain point, but
0: it's a very odd thing to. Right. Well, to be fair, it doesn't. He doesn't pull it off for very long. No. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't last that long that he's walking around as a just as an ant disguised as a human. But uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Um. Uh, a friend of the show, uh, Will Staples. Uh, when I described this plot, said it sounded like
0: a Doom Patrol story. <laughs> yeah, it does. It has, um, you know, considering what we we were saying, like, oh, we read William S. Burroughs last uh, last last uh, week, so this week we're tackling a just a very normal story about an ant who disguises himself as a human in 19th century Paris, you know, one of those And becomes things. a world-class surgeon. And becomes a world-class surgeon. <laughs> well, um, just to, to rewind a bit, because it's, it's one of these, it, you know, it's funny, it, it is in some ways reminiscent of something like Tarzan. Uh, you know, there were definitely novel. And I know, I guess Tarzan, Tarzan would have been uh, after this. Yeah, Tarzan would have uh, around been the same time, I think.
1: Uh, yeah, the first I, think, Tarzan.
0: I believe Tarzan's like 1907, 1908, like around then. So I think this does actually beat Tarzan. But there were a couple of uh, stories around that time that were sort of uh, a, a, a scientist or an explorer finds something strange in the forgotten corner of the world, some kind of entity, some kind of person who's unusual brings them to society and they can't really fit into our society. And, you know, there's a contrast and usually it destroys them. And it's, it's, an yeah, there, I think there society. were a few,
1: uh, I haven't read them yet, but a few about uh, talking apes and things like that from around this time. Yeah. So there What different... about an ape who becomes the prime minister of, of Britain. So yeah. I want to seek that one out. Yeah,
0: so if you're an ant, you can become a world-class surgeon, but if you're an ape, you can become the prime minister. So there you go. Um so yeah, it's got that kind of and again, maybe this was more unique at the time, but that that sort of outsider come to our society vibe. Although he's weirdly unsympathetic to Spiridon. He doesn't take I you know, the 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 introduction describes it as like, well, he's destroyed by, you know, humanity's vices and so on and so forth. And I like I don't know. Is he really? <laughs>
1: like he's... he's kind of just. Uh, he has a different morality than we do. Like he doesn't. Right. He doesn't consider. Well, he doesn't have a morality. He just wants to. Uh, no, he's he's protect got his own species. Yeah, yeah but he's got like, his own morality, but it's just. But very, he doesn't. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't think twice about killing somebody who's even uh, annoying to him. Right, and I or, don't like, even.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, he literally says at one point, "He's like, well, we're going to face uh You know, we're going to face a." Uh, some some somewhat oh it was the uh, the italian family who i guess we should we could talk about in a minute but uh there were people who who dislike him and he says well I, they don't bother me i can just kill them and yeah and and cordat Steed cordat the, the the doctor who takes him or the scientist explorer doctor who takes him home says no you can't just go around killing people but it is actually interesting to me that cordat is weirdly amoral too didn't didn't you think that i i honestly, uh, a little yeah I almost felt like they were trying to draw a parallel between Cordat and Spiridon in that sense, because Spirit, Cordat literally goes, well, we'll take him home and he'll become a world class, like, which is an insane plan to begin with. Uh, Yeah. Oh, it it should
1: be noted. He's already shown to be a really good surgeon. So right.
0: But but he doesn't just
1: come up with that out of nowhere.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. No, he knew (laughs) that this guy had all these, but, and he's trying to get the secret of Spiridon's, uh, you know, uh, 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 Method. Magic elixirs um, and yeah, and Yeah, yeah. there's an
1: elixir that uh, can make surgeries. Uh, first of all, it, it uh, eliminates pain. Um, right. It makes it so blood doesn't drip out. And uh, it just makes surgeries like you, you can fix somebody in less than five minutes, you know. Right. It's um, like a
0: really good epidural <laughs> that hadn't been discovered in
1: 1905.
0: Yeah. And, and, and but, still but, hasn't. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, they do some some incredible surgery on people who are considered hopeless at the time. Someone with tuberculosis, yeah. Uh, someone with uh, who is blind, uh, and he restores their sight. But the but again, though, it's it's treated in a in a sort of a way where Cordat doesn't think about the ramifications at all of bringing a giant ant among per society. And this is an ant that, to be clear. Cordat meets uh, Spiriton because he goes, you know, he, he meets this Italian, his, his ship is shipwrecked he meets an Italian family who says oh we lost our son, he went over the the ridge there into the wasteland where nobody goes, he goes he sets out to see if he can find him uh, he passes out, there's some chemicals which again, this is something Spiriton has he has chemicals that can knock people out uh, he wakes up on an operating table having his arm cut open and and I guess, operated on and... and
1: uh, Experimented on. Yeah,
0: autopsied by Spiridon. Uh, Spiridon, uh, who's able to communicate by touching people's hands and tapping out in Morse code languages like Italian. No, no,
1: it's like electric pulses.
0: Yeah, I was a little unclear on that. Is he literally communicating? I think it's supposed
1: to be electric pulses. Uh, he, but it's but Morse it's code, code, in code in Italian. Right? Yeah, yeah,
0: he's, he's telling you in Morse code, which... Kordak can understand instantly well enough so I guess I mean I guess he's both a sailor and a scientist but still that was that's pretty yeah. crazy there's no barrier to communication despite this bizarre uh, way of discussing I things. I found
1: um I know this is a translation to English but I found uh, Spiridon's dialogue a little strange for uh, what he is like he's he uses slang at certain points like he calls a corpse a stiff um, a stiff, yeah. It, right. It's just kind of uh, casual for like a alien. Like he's not alien literally, but like a something alien to humanity. Well, it makes a was. certain
0: amount of. But they do talk about how he'd heard Italian, presumably from the other people he'd autopsied over the years. And, Fair uh, enough. Yeah, that th- that was kind of what he was getting it from. And I mean, he's a very intelligent uh, to the point where he can you know grasp a language very quickly and so forth. And as on top of everything else. Oh
1: yeah, it it should be noted. Uh, when I went into uh, when I read descriptions of it that he's like the from a colony of ants, I figured he they'd be like him or something, but right. they're they're actually like literally small ants. Um, yeah. And uh, they um they treat their their king uh with um like they're they're inte- they seem to be more intelligent than ants, but like they just look like ants.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and uh, they treat their their king or or chosen leader with um. Uh, the elixir um, in a certain way which causes them to grow into
0: a larger form right and it it, honestly I I feel like in most ways they are regular ants they also grow wheat which is supposed to have restorative properties although that gets dropped pretty fast Um, but yeah, in it, it, in many ways I don't feel like the ants themselves are any more cuz other ants act in these parasocial ways as well or you social yeah, ways rather. Yeah, they,
1: they sort of follow the leader. I don't think on an right. in, individual level they're intelligent.
0: Right. They're 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 treated but even like real world ants have that sort of they do these very sophisticated things acting as a colony. And in this case though, because they treat one ant who's the chosen leader, and it's strange that it's like maybe it's because again, this is a a 19th century or early 20th century book it's you know that they didn't have it be a female ant but to me it it's more lo- it would have been more logical if this was their queen but apparently yeah but no. he's not
1: but the queens aren't actually the leaders right they just give birth to the colony true true i mean but so that, yeah yeah so like he, he's yeah this seems to be like the protector the the benefactor for the for the colony right rather than like he doesn't give birth to them so they do describe like his family line goes back to uh, they yeah. met the the Phoenician, the ancient Phoenicians, yeah. and uh, who named their family Spiridon. So that's where the name comes from. Right.
0: And it's in an ancient Phoenician tower. There's some vaguely implied connection between the ancient Phoenicians um, who built the tower, which is where the ants uh, live, although it's ruined now. Uh, but yeah, so they feed one of their... Oh, animals. yeah,
1: I looked up what Spiridon means. It's Greek for baskets, so I don't know why that was chosen.
0: <laughs> okay. And this is Italy anyway, so who knows? Um,
1: uh, I don't know. <laughs> Sertidia, there's also gold clear, in the way. tower that, uh, that Spiridon right, doesn't really care about.
0: Yeah, which gold is the-
1: and diamonds and
0: kind of a plot point because uh and the, so that's anyway going back to what i'm saying though like um cordat wakes up being like literally operated on by spirit he's able to uh basically escape um with some tr- of the he finds some of the treasure that's been stowed in this tower uh takes it back um doesn't so here's where he, you know he starts to feel a little dodgy and i'm not sure to what degree laurie crusat uh wanted this to be clear uh because he's He doesn't tell the Italians, Um, first of all, he knows that their son was, he sees the body of what he immediately understands to be their their son, who has been, again, torn apart and autopsied by uh, Spiridon. He keeps all this treasure that he found without mentioning it to them. Um, he basically keeps them in the dark, and sort of he's he seems very shifty and calculating to me. He comes yeah. off that way. And then um, when uh, Spiridon shows up looking for them, trying to gas them again, uh, he shoots Spiridon in the face, <laughs> knocks him knocks them out, and then um, and and uses some of his own elixirs, if I recall correctly, to heal him. Um, yeah. And then, but once that's been sorted out, it becomes he he starts to say basically. Hey, you know what? We, you're a really genius surgeon. Want to come back to Paris and become a genius surgeon? And like, they patch it up really quick. Not just the the Spirit On, but Cordat. They get over what's happened yeah, to him really yeah. fast.
1: He, there's a there's a line like it goes from like him capturing Spirit on to the next chapter where he says, "On the other hand, you know, he he, he had a point. Like he, he was just trying to protect himself, and you know, <laughs>
0: right." I mean, that's it's admirable in a way, but he doesn't he doesn't ever touch on the fact that he's taking a murderous giant ant back to Paris with him yeah, yeah. in the hopes of and extracting also, value from him, basically.
1: It's also odd, because I think just bringing the ant and showing him off would make him famous, too. Like, Right. He doesn't have uh, to go through a charade, I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. So it's almost like I'm trying to do it in such a way that once, like, he never says this, but... You know, he's keeping he keeps trying to get the secret of all the elixirs and all those techniques out of uh Spiriton. And he never says, well, and then when I found it all out, maybe I'll knock him off, right? He never says that. <laughs> but that's the most logical outcome of keeping him a secret rather than just saying, I found a giant ant who knows all this stuff. Um, you know, it it's a very weird, uh it's a very weird attitude that he takes. And again, it's he's got the same amorality that that spirit on himself seems to have. And I, I, I feel like that must've been partly intentional, but it is surprisingly. Mun- treated in a very off a cavalier manner. They don't delve yeah. into it, you know? Yeah. And,
1: it's not, uh, it's not something that's dwelled on.
0: And Kordat is not like, he doesn't face some kind of punishment for what he's done either. It's like, I mean, so- he sort of does in the fact that Spiridon dies. And by the end, He's literally uh, Spiridon has um, died, but as you said, they managed to resurrect him using his elixir uh, and prove But he has everyone... no memory; he doesn't right.
1: know who he is, right. so he doesn't know how to make the elixir anymore. Right? Uh, they end up um, finding the remnants of his ant colony, which had been blown up by the uh, Italian people, uh-huh. um, in as revenge. Um, but uh, they find like some remaining ants, so they they can reestablish a colony. But like that's not right. Um, getting the elixir. So uh, it, it ends with the elixir being maybe a few years off. So that that's an interesting...
0: Yeah. Or even if they're going to... Like, it's possible they could never find it. But, yeah. but what's interesting about they end is that then suddenly there's more of a warm family feeling. Like, Spiridon's going to be raised by humans now. And Kordai is now, like, bringing him into his family and treating him in a more human way. So it's almost and like... And names
1: his son Spiridon.
0: Yeah, he names his son Spiridon. And it almost seems like he's 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 dropped the i'm gonna be a mercenary scientist and just treat you like a human and that's gonna be like a fresh start for all of us uh that, yeah you know that, that's kind of an interesting way to interpret it again whether it was, I was really also uh, interesting intended.
1: seeing spirit on at the end um without his memories he's sort of melancholy and he just stares out the window all the time yeah and when he sees the the other ants of his some other ants of his colony um he's momentarily sort of perks up a bit but sort of forgets yeah. about them once they're shut away. Right. So. There's kind of
0: an implication that maybe he'll, he'll relearn who he was and so forth and, and, and get it back. But uh, there, is there's that a no... good thing
1: though? He might just kill a lot of people. I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, maybe it's more like he'll learn his natural, uh, you know, ant abilities rather than remember who he was. And again, if you're sort of, it's the old thing about, you know, if a murderer loses his memory, gets raised by, you know, some, kind people somewhere. And even if he remembers who he was, he's, he's a new person. Now his, me- his old memories will make him feel, you know, it will, will we'll be in a different way. So yeah, I, I feel like that's kind of the, that's kind of the message there. It's like, he needs to, he needs to go through a period of, of, uh, understanding humanity essentially, which it, yeah, which is very strange. <laughs> yeah. It's very weird. And, and in and of itself, it's kind of like a, there's a very colonial mindset to everything, of like, well, European science will come and take you out of your, and even even with the human characters, we mentioned the Italians, uh, they're treated very, the, the the novel doesn't treat them very well, in my opinion, because they they you know they lost their son, and then Kordak comes out kind of taking advantage of them, uh, they eventually come to Paris, they're the ones who kill Spiridon, and it's because you know they understand that he killed their son and the, the brother of the, the the woman uh the the girl who's uh kind yeah. of set up as a love interest for Cordat, but she's yeah she's, she's obsessed with vendetta against uh Spirit <laughs> yeah honor. and uh, she literally brings a stiletto it's, it's, a it's pretty...
1: like a bad simpsons plot later on where uh yeah. bob has a has a family um uh-huh. of talent or uh when he moves to italy and gets a family and his son keeps saying vendetta yeah, yeah. um well, it just reminded what, me of that like weird Italian stereotypes
0: it is an Italian that isn't Itali- everything they do there is an Italian stereotype this yeah bubble, she carries
1: around a a knife
0: yeah stiletto yeah no less um which is again is an Italian weapon um yeah so it's 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 sort of this well I'm free to just take advantage of them and again he never sort of says, Hey, you know, by the way, there's treasure in that tower and I'm gonna share some of it with you because you helped me. He's just he does, like, how... he does uh uh give them some uh money, but eventually like well then as he's gone home and then he learns they've destroyed the tower because they were like yeah. somewhat logically, it's like if this is killing people we should knock it over. But,
1: no, but before that he had sent some money uh to them. Right. To pay for a few things, but like not like, you know.
0: Well, that's, but that's what I'm saying. That's crumbs compared to, like, they yeah. find a fortune in gold and di- and jewels in the tower. And then he's angry at them for knocking over the tower because there was all this wealth in it. It's like, well, dude, <laughs> you, you were didn't just telling them. To, and yeah. and
1: you were keeping all this, you know, like, you didn't let them know what was going on and then get
0: mad when they
1: do lo- the logical
0: thing. Right, exactly. And, and, and then it's... Does he tell them at that point that there was all this wealth in there and then they're kind of like yeah. oh we're so stupid Oh, we sorry we did that it's like you didn't tell her you were going to yeah. as far as we can tell you were never going to tell them that there was a treasure you were just going to yeah, extract and it yourself the, um, you know
1: The girl Pia uh kills uh, Spiridon, then herself um, yeah. very dramatically again mm-hmm. like italian stereotypes like a you know, full on opera you know and yeah. then the father gets uh so the de- de- uh so distressed by this that he falls to his death. Right. Um, yeah. So very, yeah, like you said, they're not treated well by the text.
0: And and But again, it is, it's like they're the ones who act emotionally and, I mean, it's over the top, but they act like human beings and Cordon yeah. comes off as a weirdo who is uh, almost sociopathic uh, in some ways. Um, I do want to talk about, just quickly, you know, we can come back to that, but uh, I did want to talk about uh, the life of uh, Groussat, because he is really interesting as we as we talked about um all this interesting stuff happened um for people who may not know uh there was a period briefly in 1871 when P- uh, Paris uh, was under the control of uh, a socialist uh basically because of all the wars that were going on and the and the capture of the we mentioned Napoleon the um he uh he was captured by the Prussians and and they basically got rid of for, for much of the 19th century, and I'm not an expert, uh, but I know that there was kind of a, a, back and forth between, uh, Napoleon declaring himself emperor and an attempt to, you know, restart the Republic, which had been started after, um, uh, the, um, the, uh, Revolution. The, anyway. Yeah. So there was, there, there was a, there was about a hundred years of real turmoil in France, uh, capped off in some ways by, uh, during a period of, uh, turmoil, hmm, this is sounding familiar, uh, people grabbed hold of Paris and uh, took over and turned it into a uh, a socialist, leaderless commune, uh, which was kind of an inspi- inspiration for years afterwards as just a place where, uh, you know, there were no, it was a purely democratic, purely socialist uh, leadership. And it's, in fact, the basis for Les Miserables. That's, uh, that's what's being depicted in Les Miserables, uh, was the, the, the few months where they had control of Paris. Uh, they were eventually crushed by the Republican troops that came back. Uh, but um, what's interesting? Yeah, anyway, Orwell
1: spoke positively of it. Like it, it's a yeah. it's a big well, thing in like uh, Car- uh, Marx leftist li- circles. Yeah, yeah,
0: Karl Marx literally went to the to the commune and saw it and and was in, encouraged by it. And I mean, when, during the Russian Revolution, fifty years later, um, Lenin was basically trying to trying to recreate it in his own way. Of course, it wouldn't have been exactly the same. But he uh, supposedly he had a giant. Uh, celebration uh and he was not a celebratory guy but uh the day that the uh the the communist bolshevik government in in russia lasted uh, outlasted the paris commune they he had a big party for everyone because that meant we've we've done it we've beat the paris commune we've we've we we passed. we surpassed their record essentially uh without being and then crushed.
1: built a authoritarian regime that <laughs> yes, Killed well, a lot of people
0: but nevertheless he was he was inspired <laughs> by it um and um he uh so anyway, Grusset was there. Victor Hugo, again, who wrote *Les Miserables*, was there in uh, the Paris Commune. Um, so they probably knew each other, even though what I'm seeing doesn't specifically mention it. But they were probably, uh, they were probably at, at the very least friends or acquaintances, um, because they were both journalists in the Paris Commune at that time. And oh, um, and
1: and um, um, was a, um, a politician. He was outright elected during that period.
0: Right. Yes. He was one of the, the elected, uh, uh, people who worked there. He was essentially, you know, minister for foreign affairs, which never came into play because they yeah, were yeah. Really under siege the entire time. But, um, uh, yeah, he was, yeah, he had a, he had an actual political role. Uh, yeah. and then, so yeah, he had to escape and, and of course they were, they were looking for him for a while after the Paris commune got crushed. Um, he did, eventually there was an amnesty declared. Um, was it at this point they exported him to New Caledonia or was it after he uh sh- he was involved in the thing with uh, Napoleon's nephew it was uh
1: it was after the the commune collapsed so he was um right uh he was sent to uh Caledonia uh, yeah. and um, which is a, in the Pacific the, by the lived way lived in it's various French, places
0: yeah French colony in the Pacific um so um, it was a, um yeah, so you get the sense of, you know, in this novel where he sailed around and was shipwrecked, that even though it was Italy, it, you know, that was something not completely unlike what Grusset had experienced. But the, anyway, they eventually announced an amnesty, so he was able to come back to France and and became more of a, a right, focused on his writing. um And uh, as we said... But
1: he, he was a politician. Uh, he was uh, in office till he died. Uh, he was... Right. um. Uh like we said, he, he focused on um uh physical fitness, mm-hmm. uh which he had apparently um gotten interested when he was in uh America um, in uh New York. And uh he was focused on uh, uh encouraging sport that didn't have um that wasn't competitive. So it would right. uh not uh just focus on the best athletes, but you know, sort of well I, I, generally good for everybody
0: i think it was the idea he wanted team he wanted to encourage team sports and so on uh and i yeah. think that i think and, and apparently open air which was a big deal as opposed to i guess inside a an arcadium and and i mean it's actually interesting and they mentioned he clashed with um uh uh what's it? Coubertin, uh pierre de coubertin who is the modern um uh the modern father of the uh the the Olympics. He revived them in the, I believe, eighteen ninety something. Uh, very, very tail end of the nineteenth century. That was when they 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 launched the new Olympics. And uh, Kubernetes was, you know, he was a monarchist. He was like a really reactionary, old school, fire breathing right wing guy. And he was literally saying, like, well, this will genetically pick out the most powerful, uh, important people. You know, the we'll see how the aristocracy is better physically yeah. than the poor people he literally didn't want women to compete uh, in the olympics he was very adamant about that he said it ages them unnaturally <laughs> um and uh, and Grusset was literally just completely the opposite i said no and and he made a, they bring up the point that he that he was talking about which i think is actually quite accurate which is that you know it encourages a mindset if when when you focus on sport it's you know it's nationalistic it encourages the idea of well you're the best and if you're number two you're nothing the Bobby, yeah. uh, the legend of uh, Ricky Bobby, saying uh, if if you're not first, you're last. You know it's <laughs> yeah. that that attitude, and it's actually true. That that has had a big impact on our society, uh, and that was something Grusset was trying to to push back against. Which he and and as as uh, the intro to this book points out, you know that culminated with you know the 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 Nazi Olympics in 1937, right? Uh, because yeah. they embraced it very happily all the ide- ideas which apparently cooperton then kind of went oops <laughs> So he yeah. did regret it a little when when he saw that but um yeah it's, um
1: uh, yeah that this also uh, plays in some of the themes of the book because uh uh the ant colony is very uh eugenics based uh right. spiriton uh, talks about his morality and he wants to improve the species and um um he's very uh uh Yeah, he talks about how, you know, you let uh, your sick and uh, lame and whatnot go around and you don't, um, you know, cull to create the best and the best. Right. So you you get some pushback from that sort of attitude in this.
0: Yeah, I think that was – like I say, in that that sense, is clearly, you know, say – so, you know – as as you hear the depictions of the novel, you think, oh, it's going to be about a poor, innocent soul who comes to our, you know, poor, our nasty old civilization and it gets to story. It's like, no, he's he's he's, he's pretty brute. I mean, he's an innocent in a sense, but he's, you know, the innocent of wild nature of just, you know, the, the law of the jungle. And, and yeah, uh, it
1: might makes right sort of thing
0: and how, you know, that is logical, that would be how an ant would think if it could communicate and think like a human, Um, because it's just like, oh, that's useless, okay, kill it, you know, that kind of attitude. Um, Yeah,
1: it's interesting uh, comparing it with uh, another book about giant ants, uh, The um, uh, First Man in the Moon by H.G. Wells, which has a similar eugenics thing, but it's, I mean, Wells was pro-eugenics, so it's... <laughs> it's an interesting yeah. contrast. They were they were both socialists but obviously very on different spectrums on that regard.
0: Yeah, I I, I think I might have mentioned this in an earlier show. Uh I really like the uh, Once and Future King uh series by T H White. That's best the Sword and the Stone is the best known, the first book of it, but it's a whole series of uh, books about uh King Arthur and Merlin. And uh the final book he turns Arthur into a an ant and has him visit an ant colony. Um, and there's a famous scene where um you know when he goes to see the ant colony uh and it's it's held up as literally the model of everything the embodiment of everything we should avoid as humans uh and when you when you you see the sign over the ant colony it says uh everything that is not forbidden is compulsory everything that is not compulsory is forbidden um hmm. so you can see how ants are, are are often held up as kind of um the you know the sort of the thing to avoid a- among humans um you're saying H.G. Wells was pro eugenics, but this was someone who was a socialist. They don't say it as much, but I tend to think that Gruset was probably an anarchist. Uh, as yeah, was Th- he
1: never uh, outright identified with a philosophy, but from what I can uh, tell, from you know, from all this information, he seems more on the uh, quote libertarian socialist end of things. Yeah,
0: and yeah, an anarchist, and and he um he he. It's, as was T.H. White. And so, the you, you know, ants are often held up in that sense. It, it seems like they have that commonality of ants being seen as uh, sort of the idea of uh, regimented control. Uh, yeah, yeah a very clockwork um, society. Although it's interesting that he doesn't get into the ant society as much in Spiridon. Like, it's a, an individual who has this ideology, but they don't talk about you know, like Spiridon doesn't talk about how he wants to enslave the Earth or anything, or no. you know, or make everyone oper- like they don't get into the sociological. He wants to
1: uh, get knowledge from humanity,
0: but not give away any of his
1: knowledge. So, right there, there is some right. idea of uh, competition there, but it's not an outright. Uh, you know, he wants to enslave. Right. Uh, humanity.
0: Yeah, it's 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 very weird because. You know, there's ways in which you can see Spiridon as a cautionary tale, and there's ways in which you could see him as an inspirational figure. It's there. There's no. It's a very amoral book, as we say. It's it's very interesting that he's he's almost asking us to just you know this just happened. He he's thinking more in terms of. What would an ant be like if it could talk to humans <laughs> yep. than almost any other aspect of, like, he's not necessarily making a broad political satire or anything. I'm once is again surprising. reminded
1: of a Simpsons joke where they, they end an episode by saying, uh, maybe there is no moral. It's just a bunch of stuff that happened.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, these, like I say, there's definitely interesting Yeah, ideas. there's themes, yeah. Um, but, but it's, is, just, it's, it's funny um, that
1: it's not didactic. It doesn't tell you what to think.
0: Well, and it's just surprising, given his history and his politics, that he wouldn't yep. be using. That seems like a prime, uh, you know, a prime idea for studying, uh, for doing a satirical uh, examination of humanity. And he doesn't take the bait in that regard at all, really. Um, yeah,
1: I, I read the book before I read the uh, introduction or anything about his life. I I knew vaguely there was something about the Paris Commune, but uh, um, otherwise, I. I had no idea about his politics, and it actually really surprised me reading the introduction about yeah. all this, all his beliefs, and you know stuff he did. It's it's yeah. strange. And, like and you I can mean, see it going back, looking at you know you can see uh, connections and stuff, but you wouldn't immediately come up with that reading the book.
0: Yeah, well, as we've I think we've talked about this before, but you know in the late nineteenth, early twentieth century, socialism was often associated. Very as with H.G. Wells, it was often associated very heavily with um, the scientific mindset, as it were. And uh, so there was a a large, and again, you can kind of tie that into um, what happened under the Bolsheviks in Russia. Like there was this attitude of like, no, we have to be unemotional, unsentimental. Uh, just we are men of science. We are we are evolved men. We are better than you know the bourgeois sentimentality and so in that you can you can kind of see a tie into that maybe that it's about you know just being a man of science and and not uh you know leaving behind <laughs> the emotions of the past uh, it, it's a bit of you a you could stretch, also read it as there. a critique of that though yeah exactly yeah and and when we were talked about when we talked about uh, the um uh, uh, RUR you know we had some of the same stuff there right the uh, the robots being the unemotional humans that were in some ways that, that socialism was trying to create or some types of socialism thought was, was the future of humanity. And, and it was a warning against that. So you can see how there were people in the socialist side who were like, well, yeah, but we can't lose our humanity. We can't, you know, we can't reinvent the wheel when it comes to humanity. And uh, so uh, I would put that roughly in this same category, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's interesting in that regard. (laughs) And then, we did mention Jules Verne just to, to go into that a little bit more. Um, he did, uh, he, he submitted these manuscripts, uh, for a couple of books and Jules Verne literally took them and rewrote them, which is wild (laughs) because Jules Verne was a well-established author at that point. Right. Yeah. And, and, um, the book, the first book that he submitted, I couldn't find much about the second one, but this, uh, this book, uh, Begum's Fortune or Begum's Millions, depending on how you translate it, um, was interesting because it's um, it's apparently the first Jules Verne book to have elements uh, to have uh, cynicism about the advancement of technology. Uh, like, because usually Verne was very much yes, science will advance and we'll be better. He did do
1: a dystopian future novel that was never released in his
0: time, I think. Um, but that ca- didn't that come later though? Like this, I'm the point not is sure. This, the, yeah, later on, I think he he embraced some more. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say his his ideology didn't shift over the years, but I think uh, it's it's telling that this book written by a, you know, the, this guy whose political background we've discussed uh, has a a bit more cynicism towards the advancement of technology and portrays these two um, cities, both built by someone who inherited all this money. Uh, one of which is a land of, you know, freedom and, and supposedly and, and ide- ideology, and one of which, and that's French, even though they're both built apparently in the U.S. Um, one of them's French, and it's built on Liberté, Egalitaire, Fraternité, and uh, the other one is built by Germans, and it's a nightmarish, oppressive regime based on, and this is interesting, genetic superiority, and uh, eugenics and this is again this is written in the 19th century uh but it's it disturbingly foreshadows (laughs) a lot of the nazi regime and um as people as as you've got to think you know gruset saw the paris commune crushed partly by the prussians i.e germans and uh in some ways the bitterness towards german germany coming out of that or germans coming from that novel uh feels like it's from gruset even though it was rewritten by verne um and just this, that whole fascist ideology being held up as evil, that feels more like it's from Gruset. It's hard to say what was Gruset and what was Verne, but given what a break it is with some of the stuff Verne's done, you know that that actually sounds like it may be Gruset's novel as much as it is Verne's. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah,
1: Gruset did disown that one, but uh, I don't know. I haven't read it, so I, I have no idea. Yeah, well, I'm.
0: I mean, I I'm willing to bet it's a matter of if somebody took your manuscript and rewrote it, you'd want to disown yeah. it as well. And I'm sure that like, for instance, it's been mentioned there was some racist stuff in the book about, um, you know, like it was still very, you know, oh well, well, the white man will be superior to like, they bring in Chinese immigrants to build the city and then kick them out because yeah. they thought Chinese people might stir up too much trouble or something like that. And that feels like maybe that's the kind of thing I, I again, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to point a finger at Jules Verne and say, he was racist, but he was a 19th century European. <laughs> yeah. And it feels like if anyone's going to, you know, side that way, you know, Crusade's politics were probably less on that end than Verne's, but who's to say, we can't say with any certainty who wrote what at this remove 150 years later. And, um, <clears throat> but that it's just so, very yeah. interesting that that was there, but yeah. And he, he wrote two books that Jules Verne rewrote. And it was a, I think it was the editor's ploy to sort of make it sell more because Jules Verne was better known. So. Yeah.
1: Um, and, uh, oh, I, I didn't mention where I came
0: across this book,
1: because, uh, uh, it was on the, um, I can't remember which website in particular, but I was looking up French pulp characters, and this one came up a couple times, and, um, on a few sites, and I said, giant ant surgeon? (laughs) It just, it, it blew me away, like, it's a, such a weird concept, as we've discussed, um, I, I had to seek it out, and I, I found, um, uh, there's an ebook book av- readily available uh that I instantly got and read in in a weekend so um, yeah. it, it's it's a regular length. it's like um two hundred and twenty pages i guess uh but uh and it, it's a quick read so I would recommend this one um if you want something just weird and interesting
0: i mean as i say i i'm actually <laughs> you know it, it, it's such a strange book and it's certainly interesting. Uh, it was a little frustrating and part of it is going to be blamed on the fact that it's a translation from, from French to English. Uh, I thought that the the translation was a little bit, uh, awkward. Maybe the version I read was more awkward than yours. Uh, but Uh, I think uh,
1: we read the same one. probably,
0: probably, but it just, it didn't feel very elegant in some of its prose. Um, and um Yeah,
1: uh that's that's usually not what I'm looking for in this kind of book. Sure. So
0: I guess I'm right. I mean it's you've gotta you've gotta point it in. But I do think it is it is weird that uh Grise or Lori kept going, um, you know, uh he felt the need to reiterate several things over and over again. He tells yeah. the story of how he found the ant like three different times over the course of the novel. Once once he literally flashes back to it and you're told it, then he tells it to the police. And then he tells it to all the, the scientists who have come to see him operate on him at the end. And he just, he keeps retelling this and describing yeah. it as an man. There, there's like, a
1: large section where all the, the evidence is because his house gets burned down in the, in the, in the fight uh, between uh, Spiridon and the Italians. And um, so all the, the evidence is lost. There's Spiridon's body, but like nobody believes anything and they think um, um, it's, uh, sorry, I've forgotten his name already. Um, Cordat. It's uh, Cordon uh, who um, uh, killed the. Uh, oh, we we didn't mention there's a um uh, a rival uh, medical uh, rival surgeon who ends up kidnapping Spiridon to get the secrets out of him, and um, Spiridon escapes and murders the guy savagely.
0: Yeah. So um, again.
1: So there's... yeah. So uh, Cordon's uh, wanted for that, and uh, they think he's been faking all the surgeries and stuff, and he has to prove his innocence and. Um, he can't find any of the elixir, but he eventually um, realizes that uh, um, that there was another lab that they initially set up. So he finds some some intact elixir in there and uses that to, to prove his innocence in front of a big auditorium of of surgeons and scientists. And um, oh yeah, there's there's a bit where. Um, uh, they're going to demonst- try to bring um uh Spiridon back to life which they do but they they ask if there's an expert on insects in the in the crowd and there is and he comes out and starts explaining things and there's this yeah very strange part where it just
0: yeah, it's it's the it's literally like right at the climax, and they've stopped the story to explain more about ants, which we yeah. how he's a giant ant, which we knew. Thank you, we <laughs> <Yes>. get it. <laughs> we don't need. Like this. I
1: said, like I would recommend this on a on a um, as a curiosity more than like a, a, but I found it really interesting. So,
0: oh yeah, like story wise, is interesting ideas for sure. His storytelling is he's more like a very didactic uh, uh, college lecturer than <laughs> yeah. he wants to keep explaining everything and delving which is a, that was fairly common at the time i know it's yeah very... but
1: i found it kind of interesting it fit the, the story in
0: some ways like it fit the i mean it makes sense the thing well it's, yeah. yeah it makes sense that he would be explaining everything to the scientists and you know of course but as a story you know, a, a, a modern writer would go, okay, can we find a way to skip over this? <laughs> because we already yeah. have, the audience already knows this stuff. We don't have to go into it again, right? So yeah. anyway, it's, uh, anyway, I'm just sorry to be, you know, uh, to be down on it. And it is short and it's fairly breezy and like, it's such a wild book and so interesting in so many ways. I just, uh, you know, in terms of a, a book read for pleasure, <laughs> I wouldn't highly recommend that to people generally, unless you just... I didn't say highly, I just said... <laughs> yeah. Seek it
1: no. out if this interests you.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, anyway, it is uh, it is interesting.
1: The ants appear to be marching down to the ground to get out of the rain, so it's time to say goodbye. Uh, we've been Philip Rice, Myrmidon Splendifica, and Adam Prosser, Formidicae Magnifica. We want to give thanks to Alex Ross, Engineeris Producere, and Jack Furek, Musicalis Thematica.
0: Yes, and, Mr. Minder, if you enjoy the show... You might want to join in The Hive Mind at our Patreons to help us afford the hosting and recording costs. Uh, if you do so, you'll be able to listen to the show early and get a bunch of other stuff like comics and illustrations. Just look under Philip Rice or Adam Prosser at patreon.com or go to never sleeps network slash series slash what mad universe for the links. You can also get this podcast via iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher or your podcaster of choice as well as on YouTube via Philip's channel. And if you enjoy it, please leave a review. It would also help us if you'd spread the word about What Mad Universe. Tell your friends or link to us on social media. Philip's on Twitter as SpearHafalk underscore with an S with an F as in Frank. I'm Prankster36 and the show itself is WMU Podcast.
1: So until next time, long live the Queen.